Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. <laughs> I've been in this fight since I was six years old. <laughs> Hello, everybody. We are back. Welcome back. It's uh, Wes, Andy, and Hank for Fandom Power. Hank, you have survived Hurricane Fiona. That's right. Hurricane we, Hank. Uh, <laughs> we, missed, <laughs> we missed you on episode one. Um, we were thinking of you. Um, I know that there was some infrastructure issues that was preventing you from staying in touch. We are over the next nine weeks. We will be covering uh, each episode of the new live action Star Wars television. That's and or streaming now on Disney plus in the way that we always do all the plot points uh, beat for beat note for note with all the Easter eggs and all of the greater lore connections that we can find. As we dive down deep on these episodes, episode two, Hank, we we sent that one over to you. I know you were hunkered down in a bunker somewhere, <laughs> working with your miner's light on, uh, yeah, putting your was, notes together. We have it was, something. It was very Rogue One-ish. <laughs> I'll tell you. Yeah, there was some uh, banging and bopping there. So, yeah, listen, man. Are you ready to go? Let's do it. Let's put it up. Let's go for it. All right. Today's episode uh that would be me episode two <laughs> that would be me and we'll get to that in a second so, uh, again uh directed by toby haynes and written once more by uh tony gilroy the man determined to uh, prove that star wars is not for children uh, <laughs> you know so, what i i want I, I we had this discussion uh I, when we were doing episode one and i want to just i want to bounce it off you um when we talked about the the fan service uh, stuff that was happening earlier in the week and and sort of what did he mean mm. now that you've seen the first three episodes do you feel that you have a better understanding of what he meant i i, I think so yeah i think i do um like the language uh of star wars is you know what what i think he was getting at is that things aren't going to be here just for being here i don't think yeah. he's going to insert things that only the, like Star Wars people are going to go, oh, this is only for us. I think things are there. If they're there, they're on purpose. They serve like a, a purpose to the, to the background or the, or the plot. Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't necessarily, you know, a background item just for us. Boom. I don't know. Glow Blue Noodles was a real, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was are a real a few, stretch at that. There are a few. It's some of the first English I've ever seen, uh, you know, uh, up on screen. I guess, 
And he set that precedent when he was giving us planet titles in Rogue One as well, too. I so. think so as well, yeah. Which, that has continued in this one as well. It's true. Uh, so we open on Canari. Uh, the Alpha children are, are they're tracked towards the ship. And uh, so foot after foot, Leathery Foot is sort of steps gracefully over the, uh, the, the, the log. And when it's Cass's turn, uh, he kind of uses his butt to shimmy over it. It's good sort of indication that he's just very young. And uh, this might even be his first sort of hunting party. He's uh, maybe you know, not tall enough to this. No, like I, you know, in the first episode, they were going to disallow him. So, yeah, I made a point to, to mention that how like he tries to get in on it. Like, I felt like they were a hunting party, you know, as it were. And it's like he's it's sort of his coming of age where he's finally been allowed to go. Yeah, that's exactly. It felt like his first trip to me. Yeah. Uh, passing by some old weather equipment, the Alphas reach a clearing where Casa breaks off from the main group and takes a moment to stare out at a massive mining quarry. So it's like his first time with them. Maybe he hasn't seen this before. Maybe it's like yeah. he looks at it wistfully. Eh? Maybe he hasn't seen it before. Maybe it's hasn't seen it in a long time. And the more I think about this scene and the scene of them trekking through the thing, and I, I look at their like sort of cobbled clothing, and uh, they're, it's oversized on them, and I, yeah. I start to think, are they... You know, these look like spacesuits from adults or mining suits from adults. And I'm thinking, are they a crashed colony ship kids? Are they uh, ships, the kids from this mining thing? For sure, these flashbacks are the most compelling thing about the show for me so far. I don't want to jump ahead too far, but I want to talk about the this open pit mine or strip mine, as it is, that we're looking at here. Because we'd seen uh, in other Star Wars media, uh, uh, the early, the budding empire and their use slash harvesting of resources we see it with ilum uh, becoming star killer base you know it, it begs the question what were they pulling out of the ground here yeah what was the resource more importantly though as it relates to Andor, i don't want to get too far ahead with the discussion of the mining accident mm -hmm. right there doesn't look to be anything you know out of sorts in that mine all the equipment looks fine nothing yeah. looks broken like shut down yeah uh the descriptive audio talks about it as abandoned and rusted uh, yeah. and it does look like some of the sides have caved in a bit and that you know that could be just over time the, yeah, the planet exactly. reclaiming itself exactly exactly yeah. Uh, Castle, Castle looks wistfully at the quarry, perhaps reflecting on his past. They could be the children of the mining disaster. He quickly jets off to catch up with the group, passing a massive toppled saw machine. Uh, we cut to a man standing, striding up to, uh, stairs, what appears to be a bell tower made of brick. I think that's the first time we've seen actual brick in Star Wars. Like red it's brick. Usually like, like uh, express, almost yeah. a sand facade. Yeah, they have well, it definitely it is on stucco or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, it has large openings that look down upon the ramshackle city. Uh, man's dressed in a padded orange tunic with cross straps, matching cap, and a set of ear protectors. He, uh, he approaches a set of black heavy hammers uh, that are set on wall mounts, and he hefts them one in each hand. And he walks to be what looks like a large metal dais and places both hammers down. Outstretched arms, he adjusts his hearing protection and adopts what looks like a ritual pose with one hammer raised high above his head. And he begins a series of rhythmic strikes that gong and echo out deeply into the uh, into the night. He's identified in the credits as the Time Grappler. That's that's a really cool name. Four want, bells and all would, well. I would read a novel called The Time Grapplers. Uh, oh my gosh, played, yeah. <laughs> funny enough, he's played by an actor called Neil Bell. And so he's like ringing the bell. And you might know him uh, from the latest iteration of Dune, where he plays uh, Skandakar Bashar. Uh, we cut to the ground outside the tower, and the gong strikes ringing out here amidst the city. They reverberate much more, sort of take a different tone, like a higher tone. 
and the camera follows behind Cassian at head level, keeping sort of abrupt pace with him. And right. I just had a note on the cinematography here. It's uh, it's really it's really well done. Like, um, uh, it's not shot like the rest of the Star Wars action shows. Like no. they have a, a, a sort of a diehard pacing, if you will. A lot of yep. snap cuts, a lot of quick action and stuff. This has like a almost like a Bond pacing where we're setting up bigger ideas. Uh, it still has plenty of action, but it's 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 just setting up very things in a different way. Very cinematic feeling. It's very cinematic. There's a lot of uh, noir lighting, like a like a 40s type spy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, for sure there is. A lot of dark stuff, but with, uh, you know, it's it, and it has this tone to like a sort of a blue uh, brown tone over everything. It's kind of it's kind of cool. Cut to the shipyard where Cassian's contact inserts a chip into a data terminal. Sorry, guys. As part of Steel Peckers, uh, picket what appears to be metal scrap. Steel Peckers, of course, from The Force Awakens. Yes. Uh, these look like the same thing, and they just got maybe darker heads. Maybe it's the shadow, et cetera. Yeah, look, I think it could be the... Um, that's Pegla, uh, who we met back in episode one. Um, right. Uh, at the, the used car lot, as I'm yeah, calling it. That's probably what it is. <laughs> and uh, again, probably not fan service. I mean, you know, you need these characters here. Uh, totally need them. To move the plot forward. <laughs> no, well, yeah, absolutely, you know. <laughs> absolutely. Can we just? I want to. I want to hang on this for a second because you weren't with us for episode one, Hank. It, mm. In the in the car lot, in the ship lot, uh, when Cassian is standing inside the the ugly and he's replacing the uh, the the transponder ID, right? Uh, Pegla comes out with the two hounds and they have an interaction. But the, his boss Zorby, <laughs> Zorby, who by the way is not listed in the credits. Okay. He's not listed as a character in the credits. And the only reason we know that it's Zorby is because the subtitles actually tell us that's his name. Who is the mystery voice? I don't. Who do you think is the mystery voice? I speculated. I, know, uh, I <laughs> had said that it sounds an awful lot like J.K. Simmons, oh, J. Jonah wow. Jameson. That would be kind of cool. Um, still waiting, as we said uh, the other day, we're still waiting for confirmation on our uh, Quarren friend, Vincent D'Onofrio, but who knows? <laughs> Mystery character. I want to know what you guys have to say, so let us know. Uh, the bell ringer strikes his final double blow, and uh, I guess that signals the end of the night. It's clear that he's a timekeeper. We cut to Brasso and his weary fellow workers returning to a shift at the wall, uh, hanging their work, their work gloves up. Uh, and the nearby alley merchants pack up their wares. Nurchi counts his daily credits, and uh, they're doing an excellent job of conveying the mun the mundanity of daily life for the poor working class of the galaxy. Uh, it's 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 kind of really neat. Every you know, uh, Luke and Owen and Baru are all working class, but we don't get to see them working actual uh, work. You know, and they, we dip our toe in it when we see Obi Wan toiling for money just to yeah. live, and yeah. we we know that Ray in the future is also just. You know, she's bought, sold her, been sold to the company store. So that's how she feeds herself by toil. You know, and you start yeah. to really see that that is the, the life of, you know, we roll the dice and that's the three of us in any given planet in the galaxy. Yeah. The likelihood of being a, even a, a, a pilot are, is so far, you know what I mean? Few between, like, these are the people that populate Star Wars. Although, Star Wars gives the impression that flying a ship is like driving a car. It looks like anybody can do it. Well, yeah. no, that's absolutely true. But I mean, as far as being like the ace yep. pilot or the, like you know, pilot is my any, job in yeah. any RPG, few people probably ever got off their own worlds. Yeah, so yeah. we're getting darker now and Cassian turns down a narrow, aisle, a narrow street uh, growing less and less populated at Bix shop. Uh, she appears to be wrapping up for the evening, scrolling Orbesh. Uh, I couldn't catch it, but. It pops up on the display and it alerts her to, and she quickly, it grabs her attention, sorry. Uh, 
and she moves to read it. And as she scans the screen, a worried look creeps onto her face, and suddenly a voice nearby startles her. It's Tim. And uh, quickly, but not so discreetly, she switches the screen out. Oh, She's just tired, and Tim was hoping they could catch supper, but she remarks coolly that, uh, I thought we said one night a week. So she's like, you get the sense that she does wear the pants in the relationship, if there's, yeah. you know, what's going on there. Uh, Tim is hoping that this could be the start of the week. You know, he's trying to get crafty. And she says that she'd rather do something fun tomorrow. And uh, Tim tells her just to lock the back and he'll finish closing up. She leans in to kiss some thank you on the cheek. So it's kind of casual, not serious. Like that the, the, the cheek kiss, uh, yeah, yeah. it sort of leads me to believe that. Uh, and There's he says, there, but not so right. Yeah. Much. And it's like probably maybe matter of factly, these are just two people that are adults in this mining town or this, this working town. Uh, Do you get the he, feeling that he's missed? He's not Mr. Right. He's Mr. Right now. Yeah, exactly. And he's even sort of disinterested too. Cause he replies the next line is uh, yep. <laughs> you know, she kisses him and he's like, yep. So she quickly rushes outside and yeah. Tim moves towards the monitor, switching it on. And in the first Orbesh, is tr- and the first time I think Orabesh is translated for us. I was quite quite shocked at this, to be honest with <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. I'm like, that's less work we have to do. It's crazy. It appears in English on the air beside his head as Tim is reading it, as if, like, are we dumb? I don't know. It's I'm not sure exactly what they were doing, but they wanted the average they audience to, to be able to, like, you know, they, again, this is, they're trying to get people that aren't necessarily crazy Star Wars heads to, to jump on board, and I, I totally I commend them for that. I think it also speaks to a point that we made during episode one when Cassian and Bix are having their interaction in the garage in the shop and they have that tender moment where they're like almost like cheek to cheek Mm -hmm. and Tim you don't really know how long Tim was kind of standing there before he makes that comment about the Wobani run right but you you suspect that he's he's witnessed (laughs) yeah yeah he knows, as we we sort of discussed, that Cassian and Bix, I think, were romantically involved at one point and are now are not. Um, I think he's the jealous boyfriend. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and that, I mean, it makes it real. These are real, like the, as advertised, yep. right? Real yeah, people, uh, yeah, real emotions, sure. and they've been yep. kind of harping on that in the uh, in the come up to this. So. And I'll read it. It's on the screen, but I'll read it for you guys who can't read. <laughs> Premore Authority seeking Canary male resident of Ferrix for questioning. Citizens with any information, please contact the Preox Morlana Security Headquarters. Co- sorry, without delay. And Tim glowers after Bix. Uh, and then they double down on the important bits in case we're dumb. Canary male without delay. <laughs> they highlight those. The rest of the text goes away and the, that remains. It begs the question, how rare are Canary in the galaxy? Yeah, I mean... There's that argument is going to come up later in the episode. Actually, it's kind of a neat little argument. Right. Uh, now completely dark, Cassian approaches a building with dirty windows lit from within. He pushes the button on the control and enters. So the door opens. He pushes his hand, his hand back, and the um, descriptive audio is calling the bandage a Bacta wrap. So I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Of course, uh, Bacta, of course, the healing agent used in the Empire Strikes Back to heal Luke. And uh, there's tanks full of it all over the galaxy to get your uh, sorted Sith Lords in, I guess. Um, And there is like, there's a little deeper lore in the legends where they they, like invent Bacta. And um, right now, currently in the High Republic comics and literature, Bacta is a brand new thing. Oh, wow. So it's only been in the galaxy for a few hundred years. Inside, B2 raises his head to greet Cassian, but an elderly woman with curly gray hair points sternly at the droid. Don't say a word. And uh, we get our uh, our Marva, finally. Marva, played by uh, actress Fiona Shaw. There it is, sorry. Uh, you may recognize her from Harry Potter, as well as uh, Killing Eve. 
he goes out of his way though to conceal his injury. Like it's he's hiding something. He does from he, his several palm, t- right? right? No, and he's got this cut on his face. And he makes a big deal. He stumbles all over this next yeah. sort of little bit. And it calls back to the first episode, right? Where uh, he's like telling Brasso, you know, I fell down at your house. Yeah, he's already cooked, and she already knows that it's a lie. Yeah. Uh, don't say a word. Cassian enters. There you are, and he approaches the woman and gives her a tender peck on the cheek. You know, and that's that. Peck on the cheek again, sort of like almost yeah. like an informal, you know, uh, saying hello to B as well. Cassian quickly begins to make excuses for himself, saying he hurt his face when he tripped helping a friend. He, he's telling more lies about the story he cooked up with Brasso and tries to leave the room to get cleaned up. Read it to him, B, the woman says somberly. The droid makes sure he can speak. Read it now. Read it now. But she demands he read it. And the skipping digital voice reads aloud the same message from Vix's console. She's clearly upset. Who else knows about what? He's playing dumb, right? Playing innocent, I think. That you are born on Canari. She stresses it flatly. She demands to know who else he's told, and she grows increasingly agitated. We've always said Fest. Every document we submitted uh, has uh, said he's been born on Fest. And uh, I don't know much about Fest, except that that's the... In Rogue One, uh, they actually mentioned that Cassian Andor is born on Fest. So um, it looks like they've kept that part of his... Uh, cover, I guess, cover, cover intact. Story, yeah. yeah, right, yeah. right, exactly. So maybe disavow all knowledge of Canari. Mm-hmm. Um, every doctor does say born, right? Right, she does say born. That, so that's, that's right. right yeah. as far as and you do get, and that's the other thing. Like heavy, heavy, you get indigenous um, overtones, uh, especially like uh, South American indigenous overtones with mm-hmm. the Alpha children. Like they. They don't look like they're out of sorts. They look like they're perfectly at home. Yep. Yeah. And it wouldn't be the first time like some sort of toxic thing doesn't affect the children for whatever miraculous reason, only adults, you know. He names people that she's told and says, you've told people too. And she says, that's family. And he's yelling at her now. They're like, you really see a sort of mother-son thing here where they, they're actually screaming at one another. Oh yeah, the and, whole uh, thing about if we're making a list. Yeah, know. then we're yeah. making a list. And she's worried that he's told many, many women. And <laughs> now he's, He's really angry now. She says I, he's, she's naming the women. The and he's yelling she, at her. To yeah. Stop, oh stop. my gosh. Yeah. And then BB out of like out of context p- pipes up Bix, and then so that leads me to believe because he's like you leave her out of this. And that oh, yeah, leads me to believe yeah, that yeah, there's yeah. something in the past there between those characters. For sure, you know, there is. Like, it quite lends weight to uh, we'd made a comment about uh, when uh, Cassian wakes up on the the I call it the tug, the 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 tug ship that he's sleeping on. Mm-hmm. and uh, uh b is there and he's like who what happened last night and b starts telling him what happened and and jesse and and so and so came back and then jesse came back again and I'm like, <laughs> oh that's got to be a girl marvel finally shouts who told you who told these pre-more bastards about canari uh another swear word in star wars uh, <laughs> you guys probably covered the other one in the third episode which uh, uh hasn't happened yet mosk <laughs> says shit yeah he does actually in, in the in the firefight scene and i'm like no, 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 Tony Gilroy. <laughs> I was Dank really Farrick. upset. Dank Farrick, Poodoo would have been perfect. Sure. Damn. Sure. I don't like it's like when they start saying discovery. Excuse my language. I right. swear That's more right, than yeah. Tony Gilroy should in Star Wars. It's I don't believe it has a place. And especially I guess, when there's a pre-available alternative. And you know, I want to make a meme. I and I'll put it on the thing where it's like <laughs> Star Wars, uh, George Lucas, Star Wars is for children, and then Tony Gilroy 
has has swear words and a child shot in the back and then a kidnapping all in one well, episode. <laughs> like, I'll tell you when uh, when Monk swore, I was like, it was me. However old I was when uh, the Transformer movie came out, and uh, <gasps> right, he, he right. Said, <laughs> so, and that's what I'm telling you because it immediately ripped me out of it, just like the way it ripped me out in Discovery. It's just like I was holding it to a higher standard. Like like Battlestar Galactica never said anything but frack. No, you know, like, frack. So yeah, it, and we knew as adults, we know what course. you're saying, right? But you don't of have course. to, you know. And at the end of the day, even though I'm an adult, I, I side with George Lucas that Star Wars is essentially for kids. And I think we're walking a real fine line, and I hope we don't slip off the side of it. Like, we've got strong sexuality, we have yep. child murder and, yep. and and we have swear words now. So I let's oh, yeah. let's see where they're going. And not to say that there isn't an audience for that because no, those those are some of the I would say where the uh, the fan chatter has uh, risen. That is one area that is receiving quite a bit of positive attention. Well, maybe they like that scene of Avenger the Sith with the Anakin Slayer 3000. <laughs> the youngling slayer yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh b is still on about bix she's looking for him and he dashes over to be asking questions and marv is yelling over them both to forget that and cassian finally snaps and screams at her and it's just like he's a bad son like he's actually screaming at her stop it shut your mouth kind of action and mm -hmm. this is where i sort of really begin to think this is a character we're not supposed to like we see him in a working class town. Everybody around him is working. Everybody gets up when they're supposed to. Everybody goes to bed when they're supposed to. Everybody looks beaten and worn and they're all performing their sort of given tasks. And he's like Coming kind of above he it. He's, you know, and he's, he's, he owes a bunch of people money for doing slimy things probably. And, and I think it's on purpose. I don't think we're supposed to like Cassian yet. I, because 100 percent agree right, with that i think that we're going to we're going to he's going to use these non-likable skills to become this guy that we eventually know he will become so i'm, I'm patient I, right now i think i use the term uh morally bereft womanizing con man right 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 yeah a mom yeller <laughs> <laughs> he's a bad son i actually think we're not supposed to like him yet uh bix runs out of power before he can re-access comms and now, uh, now Marva's calm too. And she asks Cassian, what have you done? And he admits it. Uh, I messed up. And, uh, he, he actually answers her, which is where we get the title of the, uh, the episode. Uh, it, it was me. I, you know, no, knowing that telling that waitress or the, uh, the, absolutely the, was the wrong thing to do. The, the hostess. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we yeah. cut to Bix alone at the tavern, sipping a drink. She's sort of like hate drinking to herself. And she's watching over the opposite shoulder when Cassie walks mm. up and grabs the seat behind her. Nobody she... I know has ever done that. <laughs> <laughs> and she turns to him, but she sort of turns away and sort of look like looking through whoever's not there in front of her. Um, she's not sure if it's safe to be outside even. And he's like, he asks her rhetorically if she's seen the notice. She leans in quietly asking, what did you do? He tells her succinctly, two guys jumped him and went too far. And she wants to know how far. He's not lying to her, but he's admitting truth for sure. Yeah, the way that he's presenting it isn't the gritty, yeah. I shot a guy in the face. No, no. And, uh, I mean, they're shaking him down, and he wasn't looking for a fight. She gives a sinking, like, she knows how far it went now, you know. Uh, suggesting we, we that she knows what kind of with, cat he um, is. Well, yeah. exactly. We speculated in episode one, like, the, all the relationships. It's every character that 
had a uh, more than 10 second interaction with Cassian had a story about how they were either had done some business together, were doing business together, had been wronged by him or yeah. were cautious of him. What are you mm-hmm. getting me that into now? Everybody that he's been in contact with knows that they just kind of keep him at arm's length because that's what right. are you going to, what are you going to get me into this time? Like they've <laughs> all been, they've all been burned by him on some level or another. Yeah, right. He's he's skirting, you know, responsibility, and and yep. and it looks like he's been doing it a long time because he's quite good at it. Well, this is it—that shiny veneer that we talked about. Like, yeah, we're not supposed to like him, but at the same time, he's just so damn likable. Yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul McCartney looking oh, mofo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, before he can uh, see Bix push. Uh, oh, and uh, sorry, uh, Cassian grasps her hand, telling her he won't forget uh, that. Uh, the deal is, is sorry, um, she gives a sinking look like he knows what he wants. And he wants to sell her the piece now and forget the guy. He's he's really sorry that he wanted to involve that. And he'll just give him less money and he'll go about his business. He really just needs to get out of here. Um, but she tells him he's coming and there's no stopping him. And he's going to be here in the morning. And he takes her hand and he says that he won't forget it. He's thanking her very much. Uh, but Tim is lurking by and he's uh, he's sort of hate drinking. And he misconstrues the situation, misconstrues the situation, and he storms off. Uh, but before he can see Bix push Cassian's hand away, because this looks like something, you know, like she's she's it's done another, with that. He, he missed a vital part another of the tender moment here. That, right. That's all he's seeing. And so uh, she looks like she's done with whatever was there in the past, sort of about them. You know, like she'll she'll tolerate him. She'll do favors for him. Maybe they maybe she's from uh, where he's from. They have a similar. Maybe you know, canary uh, canary style uh, look about them. Uh, Maybe she's from that other world that the hostess mentioned before the mm-hmm. Tahin mm-hmm. or whatever. Tahin, uh, I can't remember the name of the place. That's right. Uh, outside, Tim is angry drinking, and I'm pretty sure he's about to do something to finally move this plot forward. Indeed, he approaches the store with what looks like comms terminals with a signal, with a sign with a red circular symbol and some unintelligible orb door in the wall above it. A familiar-looking speeder bike rushes by in the foreground, and we see what I can't describe as anything but Star Wars payphones. Yeah, Complete there's no other bubbles, way to say that. Like the uh, cones of silence from Get Smart, <laughs> bubbles, <laughs> bubbles of noise protection. Um, Besh here reads. Um, basically, it's the, uh, <laughs> I don't know what it reads, but they are going to, unless you translated it, it's like a number. Um, they're going to basically tell us in the, in the next scene what, what uh, he's, basically just ratting him out so on the screen the the, the squares yeah i don't know is that like the rate that he's got to pay to make a phone call <laughs> like possibly it's yeah. definitely a new uh, number a blue tentacly alien species i'm not familiar with looks at tim over and turns his back to him continuing his call tim indeed moves the plot along uh back on more Kinda weird that he's not wearing uh, your normal minor helmet or anything it's no, just he's like, got like just a, a visor yeah it's like a tin cap yeah maybe he's a welder yeah uh back on not more lana one there. Several texts discuss the communication that is coming in. They they have Cassian's name. It says Fest, though. And uh, they begin to pull an image when uh, Karn walks in the room. Wanted for questioning, Cassian Andor, uh, human male, uh, uh, origin Fest. And there's charges, actually. There's, there's charges a lot there. there. Yeah, yeah there's quite a bit of text destruction there. Destruction of Imperial property. Uh, assault on Imperial soldier. Um, yeah, that's... <laughs> he's not a... I mean, officially, he's not a good dude, either. No, uh, although we we don't mind him uh, smashing. Well, up we, that's the other thing too. Like uh, back in episode one, you know, we 
him talking about just sort of what he's been involved with, mm-hmm. I'd said, not surprising. This guy's probably spent, you know, a few nights in the, in cells, right? Like, okay, it's morning. You can go now. Like yeah. minor I mean, stuff. We're starting to learn. We're seeing his spy craft a little, but we, I mean, Oh yeah. I, for a split second in the first episode, just to digress for a split second, when he accidentally killed that kid for lack of a better term, the young, the young, uh, corpo. Yeah. Um, I thought for a minute, the look on his face, I thought that was the first person he ever killed until uh, he shot the other guy in the face so coldly that I went, no, 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 <laughs> this is not, this is not his first rodeo. I tell you, I, I still think that we actually said, I said that I think that, it, that cold, cold killing that guy in the face. I do believe it was. You the think first that's time. his first murder? I do. I think that's the uh, like you know we're making the Bond analogy. That's mm. our opening sequence of Casino Royale where Bond has to take out his first, his very first uh, uh, kill, and it's not clean, and it's yeah. it's dirty and gross and ugly. And although it happens very quickly, because of that, he there's that moment where he does that. He paces around. He's not even paying attention to. Uh, um, to uh, Carva, who's like pleading for his life, right? He's, he's weighing his options. He's literally the wheels are spinning. I got to. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Bang! Right. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. It's quite possible. He just, it, he looked very, uh, very okay with the decision after, which was sort of my part. Like, I mean, he he definitely stared at the body for a second. I believe that we are. You can't help but make the analogy to Rogue One first five minutes of, the, of meeting the character and like, he kills, does the kills exact an same thing kills, kills an, an informant ally. yeah i absolutely. think we are meant to make the correlation there that if this is in fact the first time this is the the catalyst that makes it why is it so easy for him to kill that informant in rogue one hmm. he's probably going to be faced with this situation many many more many, times, many, <laughs> many more times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karn enters the control room asking if they have a suspect and a hologram pops up and a young, clean-shaven Cassian slowly, slowly turns in the hologram and Karn leers intently at his target. Um, a guard brings the brothel hostess in the, from, the, uh, from episode one and Karn uh, gaze shifts from her and back to the hologram and a wry slice of a grin cuts across his mouth. Uh, back on Ferex, Tim sits at a table and drinks alone. A beep from an intercom grabs his attention and he wobbles over to answer it. Thanks. I completely sort of glanced over this, uh, this scene. Uh, it's Bix and she wants to know if it's too late. Uh, he opens the sliding panel and Bix stands there with a tiny grin. They flirt a bit. He's quite awkward in this. He's, he's quite awkward. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure. He, like, he wants to get it on, but he doesn't really know if he does, I think. So, well, he's um, probably feeling a little bit of uh, guilt right now. Right. So this is what he just did. Well, she right. had no, and she had no idea that he was sitting across the bar from them. No, right. So that doesn't inform what she's doing here. So she's really drunk and horny. She showed up for the booty call and right. has no idea that he's like, oh, damn. Right. <laughs> and now he's wrestling with that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's true. Uh, they kiss deeply and she leads him off into the bedroom. Uh, cut to Karn, hard at work at the terminal, when a new security force member arrives. Uh, with a crisp salute, he introduces himself. Uh, Sergeant <laughs> Linus Mosk, at your service. <laughs> and uh, so this guy steals the I love show. this guy. So far, he, he's a show stealer. Swearer or not, he's a show stealer. Um, Definitely played by command. Alex Carnes, and you may know him from the HBO miniseries Chernobyl, where he played okay. Blukov which is an excellent show if you guys haven't seen it. Or maybe he, uh, you noticed him as the Batman 
Pete Savage, Commissioner Pete Savage, Gotham Police oh, Commissioner. Really? Yeah. yeah. Cyril apologized for the late hour, but Musk is privileged to be here, sir. <laughs> uh, Moss gives an impassioned speech. Tempo is crucial. Velocity in the service of inspired leadership. Is there a worthy substitute? I think not. I got Scotty vibes off him. Okay, but Scotty, <laughs> that would rip Scotty. the arms off a of gun dark. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's it. Like, I, I'm, I'm really, you know, for a bad guy, I'm loving this character. I want to talk about him a little bit more because uh, back in episode one, we talked about the um, the sort of the dichotomy uh, between Karn and Chief Inspector Hine and how they were at different ends of their career. Right. I had speculated that Hine might be the type of guy who actually was in the military. Maybe he was a former like ISB agent. Mm-hmm. And now because that's that's public sector, the money is always better in the private sector. So he's jumped ship to go to work for what is essentially a private military contractor. Right, right. I get the same vibe from uh, from the sergeant that he was literally a legit soldier jump ship for the money. See, but I sort of took a good si- soldier. I, I took yeah. a sideways sort of step at that. And I thought this guy's too old to be a stormtrooper. Yeah. So this is this is where he's found his. Still needs you know, to find something <laughs> right. Him. He might have been a um, you know. A, I feel uh, like the, conscript. this organization, right. uh, this organization, uh, we can't not make the analogy to say like the, the best bin security forces. They looked similar. Oh man. <laughs> um, what was I going to say was that, um, think of them as like the, these private military contractors would be like the bastion of like, they would be like equivalent to like, say the French foreign legion where like, you know what, listen, if you can, if you can pass, there's a lot of things we can, you know, overlook as long as you, you can do the job. Right, And I feel like a lot of these people that maybe work for this company sort of have these questionable backgrounds. He just happens to be, he was a good soldier at one time and now he's just, he's making more money. Absolutely. He's a, he's a fantastic character. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mosk believes that uh, 12 men would be prudent uh, to go after the, the target. And Cyril thinks he should suit up with the men and Mosk couldn't agree more. Nothing like seeing an officer on the line to spiral morale. And um, Moss goes off on on sort of the the, the corporate military or <laughs> structure, if you will, saying that uh, I quite I've, like this I've line. I've seen it, sir. I've seen it. I've seen uh, I've seen half measures, dereliction of duty. Uh, take it slow and wait. It's a plague on discipline, and he believes they need a stronger hand with these difficult affiliated planets. There's a fomenting out there, sir. Pockets of fomenting. Corporate tactical forces are the empire's first line of defense, mm. and the best way to keep the blade sharp, sir, is to use it. Wow, <laughs> that's yeah. that's yeah, some yeah. pretty heavy stuff. It's uh, a stark contrast to Chief Inspector's take <laughs> on it. You know, right. like just keep the wheels spinning, don't make noise, don't rustle you, it. You, yeah, you could see who is who would be very dangerous in charge. You know, it implies though. It also implies that there are a lot more, maybe not pre more, but th- it implies that there are other corporate military forces in the employ of the Empire. Absolutely. I mean, if this if this is one of their worlds. Yeah, you know they they've got a toe in it, and it's. I mean, I picture this guild like we talked about uh, off camera. This guild of uh, corporate authorities, yep. they're probably in place during the Republic, right? They were probably, probably. Republic, you know, or if they were uh, a federation, local, 
or regional right? and regional the uh, defense forces or and something. it wouldn't make sense for you know just you know you just put a new leader you know you just add them to the hierarchy and you yeah. you, you keep the structure in place and they report back to you much like the you know um I mean, Lando talks about having to make reports to keep the Empire out and to make deals and to and to negotiate. Falling like, under the jurisdiction of the mining guild. Right, exactly. And so, it, it you know, it's it's not lost on us for sure, and it shouldn't be on anybody else that these guys almost look identically like Bespin security guards. Oh, yeah. And uh, back at Marva's domicile, she sits alone in the dim lights, and as Bieber charges on a station, we pull on tight on her worried, furrowed brow and before closing in on her tightly clasped crasp hands rubbing nervously together she's uh, it's a quick cut but we just see where where she's at in terms of actual sort of caring about uh, about uh, cassian and on another note we kind of get to see that uh, b2 there's got more in common with a roomba than we knew i wanted to <laughs> yeah, say right. is this the first time we've seen a, a droid actually uh, has to recharge on a recharging station yeah Mm. Normally, it, you know, you know what this is straight out of now that we got it, and I didn't have notes on this, but uh, there's uh, several levels of the new Lego game where you have to put oh, power right. droids inside boxes to power items to do the, and so this that actually looks like the boxes that you put power droids in. We watched uh, Luke Skywalker actually run equipment off of R two D two, or rather, plugged him into a small little generator. Yeah. But this is the first time I think we've seen like on screen like a droid. Like that gives me an uh, gives us should inform us of how old um, B two really is. Right, right. And I don't know if you touched on it in your episode, Wes, but uh, he, he reminds me of old Bob from the Black old Bulls. Bob. Yeah, we yeah. did. We yeah, talked yeah. about that. Perfect, right down perfect. to the the half kind of cocked head pulling his eye down. <laughs> Cut to it looks like a wrecking yard, and close in on a ship from the exterior, it's the co- it, its cockpit is lit up from within by a roving flashlight. Inside, Cassian heads to a black and yellow checkerboard panel. And as he bangs on it, it drops, revealing an object wrapped in a dirty cloth. Um, I don't it was know. Almost if, like the secret knock. Dunk, I, dunk, dunk, dunk. I tried like mighty to get something off of the ship, and I don't know if there was better shots. Certainly, there are in in three because we see yep. it in the past. But yeah. I, I I haven't uh, I haven't put my thumb on the ship yet. If either of you guys did, I can't either. I've just been know. calling it a, a tug. I don't mm. think it's a like it's it's barely a shuttle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know right, what I mean, like right, it's so exactly. small. This particular hiding space becomes yeah. important in three, though, when you see... Oh, it does, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll get that next episode. Wrapped in a dirty cloth, he examines the object, black and silver box with red and blue buttons on the front. Cassian's face briefly reflected in the object. Clearly, this is the star path device he wants to sell to Bix's contact. Yeah. It looks very Empire. Uh, almost as if it might be at home in Darth Vader's chest. Plate. Oh, there you go. Mm. <laughs> the chest uh, box. <laughs> he, uh, he turns the device over and emblazoned on the center in gray metal is the Imperial symbol. You know, there's a, I mean, I kind of laugh. I snickered at this part because it's like, oh, Tony Gilroy <laughs> says you don't have to know Jack about Star Wars to, right. to, to, to like jive on this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we'll just put that right up there for all you non-Star mm-hmm. Warsians there to know. Well, they, bad, they do bad stamp guy. all their own stuff. It's kind of weird. Like. <laughs> made in the empire yep i actually said and this is getting away from the the sort of the breakdown but it's like some guy on the production was told make a box right this is what they came up with and i'm not like i tip my hat because this looks amazing it's it's a fantastic uh throwaway mcguffin yes (laughs) yeah definitely looks like something that needs to plug into something else yeah yeah. right uh he packs the object into his satchel and cradles his blaster in his hands so (laughs) what i believe it to be is the briar pistol 
from the the Jedi Knight and Dark Forces games, and that that's right. the pistol of Kyle uh, Katarn, right? Kyle Katarn, yeah. Kyle Katarn, and uh, it's not lost on me that in that story, he's the guy that steals the plans for the steals Death the Star. Plans for the Death Star, and now we have the guy who actually steals the plans for the Death Star in canon, wielding this guy, wielding the same weapon. That's quite nice. Love it. Um, more uh, closer to home, closer to the series, um, we see Clem wielding this pistol uh, well, later right. on. Yeah, or mm-hmm. we, we saw that in, in episode seed in three. Yeah, we will see. Right. It. Yeah, and it has so a Blade nice, Runner feel. And nice so does familial. A lot of the, oh yes, it does. Doesn't it have, have your bla- typical in, blaster feel. No, exactly. Front Clun- heavy, clunky, and uh, he is saw, that image. Is that image from one of the one of the renders from the game? It is. Mac? It is a game it render. Is, right? Yeah. Okay, that's actually pretty good. It looks looks pretty good. Mm. Uh, back on Canari, the Alphas gather on a ridge beside the crash ship as Casa joins the group late. The leader, Alpha One, is what they call her in the uh, 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 credits, joins, the credits, uh, yeah. Yeah, heads out alone, brandishing her staff on her shoulder. As the Alphas take up tactical positions on both sides of the crash ridge, where she, she sort of clicks, and they they have a you know they this is not their first rodeo. They're very no. well organized, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, even uh, the younger ones are told to you know shut up when Cass runs up, and they he's standing there, and they they drag they him to make his knees him get down. Like, yeah, yeah. So he's he's still learning, but uh, it's sort of, there's still like a, a structure of them learning this. So. Uh, Alpha One approaches the wreckage carefully as plumes of putrid yellow smoke wave from different sections of the crash ship. Yep. Cut to the exterior in space and the starship arcs uh, across the ecliptic of a brown-blue planet. Inside the cockpit, a male pilot commands the ship by voice. Optimized landing, the ship's computer identified in the subtitles as a Fondor droid mod, tells the pilot, oh, okay. landing okay. scanned and locked. So now Fondor, you guys know Fondor? Fondor is the purple-colored world uh, in the corporate sector of the galaxy where Dooku once tried to negotiate with Tarkin yep. to uh, yep. take Fondor. Uh, uh, Fondor is the Fondor shipyards. It was a huge manufacturing facility. Eventually, the Empire took it over. Uh, it appears in the Battlefront II uh, first-person game. Uh, yeah, Versio in the new visits one. It. Yeah, in, this, in the in new this, one. In the newest one, yeah. Versio visits it. And uh, eventually, it's uh, rescued. I believe it's the. Uh, is it not in the uh, squadrons game where they they attack uh, Fondar? I believe it is. Yes. Yeah, and uh, they um, they re- they rescue Fondar from the Imperial uh, clutches. Uh, eventually, the First Order does take it back. So the Fondor shipyards trade hands many times yeah. through yeah, the yeah. different galactic. So uh, um, whether. Um, whether our guy here is from Fondor or not, certainly his droid modded ship is. We don't get a great look at it. I mean, we do get him walking away and kind of locking it up as he walks away. Mm. Um, we get a good look at it at the end. Of we three. do at three. Right. Um, they're calling this the lightsaber ship. The fan uh, people are just sort of coined it the lightsaber ship based on some of the marketing material that we saw with that corkscrew maneuver with the solid beam weapon. Coming yeah, in. yeah, yeah. It looks a lot like the um, the U wings from Rogue One. It does with, have that where that they're swept shape, forward, yeah. the, you know. Yeah. And in in the third episode, we so jumping ahead, he, they do it like lift up and sort of strut forward as he's taking off and stuff. The interior uh, plus that cockpit, very Carillion, mm-hmm. very uh, YT series. Oh, he asks uh, he asks the computer how long it's going to take this time, suggesting that they you know he's. Bix's contact. He's met with Bix before. So how long? How long this time? 
Shuttle says there'll be 2.3 clicks away. Have we ever used clicks in Star Wars before, fellas? Do we have we used oh, kilometers? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I think so. I think in the Clone yeah. Wars they do quite maybe, a bit. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, and uh, clicks could mean just their own little clicks. They don't have to necessarily mean kilometers for sure. Um, nothing cl closer. The pilot asks, and uh, nothing safe. The uh, droid mod returns. So I want to talk about the 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 droid voice for a second because we talked mm. about it uh, for the other episode. Very, very, very human like. Yes. Like no, like remember uh, um, L three. L3 in, in uh, solo had an electronic sort of overtone on top of her voice that kept it very, Oh, it's mechanical. That's right. This has, this is like the dulcet tones of maybe like a lounge singer, the beautiful voice cut back to the exterior of the ship. Uh, as it heads in for landing or in the overcast Rocky terrain, the landing ramp uh, opens an event of compressed gas and a man in a long flowing trench coat emerges and strides confidently down the ramp. Making his way to a high ridge uh, overlooking the city, we see the man is tightly cropped, white gray hair, and is carrying a walking stick. He raises a set of micro binoc macro binoculars to his eye, and we get the familiar viewpoint of the uh, binoculars. Very, very familiar. And we see now that the city is sort of much larger than we'd ever really seen before. Oh, it's big it's time. Yeah, very yeah. big in this scene. Uh, closing in on tight on the man's face, it is who we knew it all along. We haven't gotten his name yet, uh, sort of canon, but it is Stellan Skarsgård. Cut to the time grappler now, picking up his hammers for the steel drum and posing once again ritualistically. He begins to beat on the drum. It must be morning. We I feel like he got those hammers from Middle Earth. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They look so I, good. I was he takes such pride in it. I was thinking Beskar for that steel there. I uh, mean, they look really nice. There's a there's something in episode three I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk about after. I mean, two. look at, look at the, uh, the bell itself. Look at the side of that. It looks like it's mm. like slag of some kind. Like it's not, yeah. not a hundred percent, uh, processed yeah. metal. I also wasn't able to catch the edge of it in any of the images I got, but yeah. there's a, it, it bends around itself, but doesn't touch itself. Mm, yeah. Okay. So it's kind of really interesting, uh, sort of thing. So, uh, it must be morning, uh, cut to Tim's place and the song of the bell ringing stirs a sleeping Bix. Uh, it looks like Tim has been up all night staring creepily at her. <laughs> yep. um, she says, uh, tell me you have calf. And oh, finally, ladies and gentlemen, coffee. Coffee. Is canon in Star Wars. Now, it has been in the novels. It's been in the novels uh, quite a bit. Yep. I couldn't yep. give you exactly, you know. Uh, I think this is the first time in, in, in live action for sure. I'm never going <laughs> to call it coffee again. That's right. Yeah. Calf now. Uh, and he says he's just about to put it on. Uh, reinforcing once again that Star Wars, this Star Wars is not for kids. Kids, don't drink coffee. Okay. Uh, I still don't know if I'm okay with that yet. Coffee, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, she asks if he can open the yard for her this morning, and she, he says, yeah, and ask her what's up, and, and she's just got errands to run, and it won't be long. And that's the second time the she's errands. used the errands, errands uh, yeah. for sure. Just the and one she rushes off to get ready. Yeah, she's just uh, wham, bam, thank you, yeah. sir. Yep. Uh, cut to Cassian looking through his satchel hurriedly. He's looking for comms that he's sure he's had. B asks why uh, they need comms. Why couldn't uh, Cass just come back and tell him? And it's clear they're on the same ship from the uh, the first episode, Cass's yeah. uh, little uh, <laughs> wrecked ship. Spot. Right. Uh, B is concerned that Cass has stashed away credits for Marva or is getting credits for Marva and that the droid... Uh, he tells the droid that we don't want anyone else to find the credits, do we? So Cass needs the comms to tell B where to meet him. B thinks that this is going to be a bad idea. And the way he delivers the line, that's a b -b bad idea. 
reminds me so much of K2SO in Rogue One. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it's a bad idea, and so does Cassian. <laughs> well, here's, so we mentioned this in episode one, and you weren't there with us, Hank, but let us I want to revisit just for a second now that we have this lovely shot of, of B2EMO. Yes. I kept wanting to call him Emo. Right. Do you not get vibes of Marvin from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy out of this guy? I do. He, he does have that sort of like, oh, <laughs> he's got a little bit of a, yeah, definitely. Little bit I, of I absolutely too. do. Yeah. I was calling him B2 before, I guess it was too close to sure. R2. And then the convention, their naming convention in the show is calling him B with, B. and it's B. like B spelled like the, the insect in the, yep. in the subtitles. Yeah. Uh, B thinks it's a bad idea, mirroring K2's sentiment about Jin Erso in Rogue One. But he tells Droid to get going because uh, she's going to be wondering where he is. And we cut back to Mars' place. And sure enough, she's already searching for the droid. She heads into what I assume is Cassian's quarters. And we see his disheveled bed and a, sort of a tool uh, thing. And there's the uh, a stuffed Bantha. Not fan service, right? Not <laughs> at all. I love it. It's moving the plot along. I love right? it. So I he love kept it. his toys from when he was I young. The question yeah, is, is that a mid 1990s or 2000s era, uh, the uh, large Bantha toy that, that I, you uh, know what? Hasbro Wouldn't that be the most meta reinsert in the world? <laughs> Absolutely. They did use, yeah. We've had toy references before. The, the most noticeable one being Bib Fortuna's staff. Um, but man, this would take the cake. Yeah, it totally would. Uh, she picks up his staff and uh, a staff and it, she sort of cradles it reverently. Um, she plays with the tassels a little bit. And we, we cut almost immediately um, to the, uh, the jungle back to Casa wielding the very same staff. Right. Apparently so all like poking dead bodies. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So that's a good Poking way to it. And it, it looks like they're used to dead adults. They're not freaked out yeah. by this at all. They're just on high alert. sort of. Yeah. They're just like poke to make sure it's dead or alive. So in, in this scene, when she pokes him, you can see a separatist symbol on his little sort of air exchanger there. There yeah. we are, the separatist symbol, which is going to really throw us for a loop in episode three. Looks to be one of the Alpha staffs reverently. Back in the past, we see Cass holding that very same weapon, taking up his position on the ridge with the rest of the Alpha children. Alpha one slowly approaches, and we see a humanoid body strewn in the path, a gas mask obscuring their face. Another being lays half out of an open hatchway. Alpha one pokes the first body with their staff, but the figure is lifeless. We clearly see that this humanoid male with yellowish skin, as Casa watches intently, Alpha One approaches the second body, and she prods it, and it slumps out of the hatch to the jungle floor, its mask falling off to reveal another human male with yellowish skin. Casa notices the first man stirring and struggles to get to his feet. He says nothing, and apparently none of the other Alphas notice. So I, I thought something. Is, is this where Cassian learns, like... Speak up or... Like, yeah, yeah there's a, a very valuable lesson here. Like, he he doesn't act. He single-handedly could have saved her or right. at least notified her. And I yeah. think yeah. that in the in the next scene, that's that's very, uh, like, it's it's evident to him. Well, that um, might speak to his freak yeah. out on, uh, oh, in episode yeah, three when he starts yeah. smashing all the... Mm. When he sees himself and he's so maybe, he's maybe revolted by right. what he they, sees. They make a point of him noticing... Uh, he says yeah. nothing, and apparently none of the other Alphas notice. They must all be watching the leader. Yeah. The yellow man dressed in a gray flight or work jumper pulls a blaster and shoots Alpha One in the back. 
uh, war cries erupt from the children, and it's revealed that their stabs are actually blowguns, and they begin yeah, to pepper I the attacker. That was super cool. Yeah, with a high degree of accuracy, they're 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 hitting him they a lot. Old pincushion. Pin and uh, uh, eventually, the man slumps down, unconscious or dead, uh, possibly from the poison that they were prepping in episode one. Like I was wondering maybe, what they were doing. Maybe that's what like. they, they were dipping. They were dipping in, darts or needles into things. I thought yeah. they might have been giving themselves tattoos at the time. I thought I, you know, that they were stirring the ashes, making the war paint. But right, it actually maybe makes more sense. Both. It could have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Multitasking. Uh, the children rush down to the ridge and surround their leader, who struggles to breathe. Uh, she's still alive. Uh, that's a you know we don't know if she's dead in the next episode if they they revisit that uh, they pick her up and carry her away and as Cassa stares back at the open hatch his fist clenches and his eyes smolder uh, we cut back to Ferrix as Cassian makes his way through the early morning streets and the can dim we just, can we just go back for just sure, a second I sure. want to talk a little bit more because I know this is sort of the this is the burning question uh, over the the course of at least the the second and the third episode is about these people they being these separatists mm -hmm. um the yellow skin is that natural or not don't think see so. i you know it's it's hard to say at this point um they both look like human males and we don't have a like there's no canon press precedent for yellow skin sort of being yeah. like that we could look up but it's, it's the same well, no well that's not. true that's that you know that's very true yeah, but the, yeah, yeah. it's the same color as the smoke that's the coming smoke out of that the thing. It's coming out of the ground, right? Absolutely. So I, I immediately thought here, that. Like even when she gets shot, you can still see smoke coming out of the wreckage. Mm -hmm. Also, but by the time they carry her off, it's dissipated. There's right. a small detail with the the officer that's laying outside the hatch that's laying on the ground that Alpha One was looking at. Mm -hmm. When you look at like his ears and stuff, like he wasn't his ears still had some natural like skin tone to them yeah. right which could have just been the makeup department didn't do you know get his Such ears. A good job right but well similar, all things being intentional the guy who yeah. gets up his hand isn't fully yellow exactly so mm. there is a theory there is I, yeah. there is a theory we'll, we'll lay it out at the end of three Cassius stares back at the open house his fist clish his eyes smoldering cut back to ferrix as cassian makes his way through the early morning streets and the sky dimly gray he arrives at the shop window marked uh, in Orobesh's Zanwans. You got it. That's <laughs> the only Orobesh I got this week, and you got it. It's great. I love it. Well done. Uh, a, a man at the desk is arguing with a new species of alien that I'm not familiar with, a tiny little guy there. Um, these uh, Cassian and Zan know each other. Zan says he's looking up Canari, and Cassian is in shock but holds it in. This is a little bit of good face acting here. Uh, what's Canari? What's that? Yeah. Uh, finally, yeah. the man finds it uh, in the charts. Canari, mid rim, abandoned after an imperial mining disaster. Everyone died. Well, and there it is. Yeah. Considered toxic, imperial prohibition. Uh, and so, yeah. That, Nobody uh, goes there. And then yeah. on, in the chat, we started going. I said, okay, Wes, let's do some math here. How yeah. old do we think Cassian is? It works in out. Rogue One. It totally and, works out. Yeah. I mean, either way, um, you know, there were separatists, Federation you know, uh, planets before the clone war really broke out. Yep. So when we put Cassian at like 35 to 40 in rogue one, mm. uh, that puts us at either two years before the clone war breaks out or right at the end of it. Uh, I, I agree with you that the end of it would be sort of have more impact, Yeah. but we do have scenes from the trailers where a teenage, like an older, like computer de-aged Cassian 
is witnessing imperial troops but with clone troopers yeah clone troops suggesting to me that maybe he's closer to that 40 than 35 because i think is- that uh the the and we have we'll see how it plays out but i i'd said to andy earlier that uh, that sequence that we see in the in the marketing with the clones yeah. looks like it's on ferrix and i'm wondering if like as we're going to learn later on in episode three she talks about a reckoning and i think that she's the whole wrapping of the metal ding 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 that's what a that's what a reckoning sounds like right that's exactly what happened when the clones showed up and hung clem right that's why she knows and why she's looks like she's kind of lost in her memories anyway oh that's possible uh, yeah yeah yeah. that's possible but that's an episode Uh, three thing you'll have to turn it tune in for that one imperial prohibition he tells cast corporate sector enforcement are looking for someone you know anyone from canary it's just kind of funny how close the uh the circle is to him um, there's no reward, you know, they, they, they him and the aliens sort of talk yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, guy in the asks, background, does he not look like, uh, the same Maz species Kanata. as Maz Kanata? He's a little Maz Kanata ish. Yeah. I feel like possibly. it's the, yeah. Maybe so, she a little, just little enemy thing. mind sprinkled in there. Maybe, uh, yes. not, not to, you know, make the Star Trek analogy, but he reminds yeah. me of Keenzer a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, Cass asks how much for a run to Tasser? Uh, I didn't look up Tasser. I don't know if uh, that's a canon planet or not. He needs to go today, and he needs the uh, he needs it to be uh, anonymous. So, it, it remi- this reminds me of the haggle between Obi Wan and Solo. You know, like uh, you know, you want to avoid Imperial segment. That's a sort of totally different thing. So the man wants nine hundred. Immediacy and discretion are expensive, uh, and Cass only has five. But we'll go seven, and the man tells him that seven is his floor. And Cassian says, if it's seven, you'd be ready in an hour and keep the ship running. Uh, bursting out of hyperspace, a large pyramidal ship with several drop ships attached that do not, that do not, not re- resemble Republic drop ships. They, they look fly. like the LAAT. They really, the really do. Versions. Yeah, they really, really do. I, I do like this design. It is so unconventional yet, yeah. you know, yeah. starships and Star Wars for that matter has done a really great job of depicting uh, of starships of all different kinds. Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, we get science fiction tends to like stick with what, what our brains kind of can like relate to, which is why a lot of space faring vessels look like aircraft. Right. Right. I mean, uh, a flying this pyramid. Me, yeah. <laughs> this reminds me a lot of uh, close encounters of the third kind. Oh yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It reminds Maybe me more of at home in uh, Stargate's universe. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it looks like an attempt at Imperial design, like almost like a homage. Like they didn't have the plans. They were trying to, you know, pointy and triangular. Like, like that's what, that's what we're going for here. It really reminds me too of the tower structure on Exegol in. Uh, oh yeah. 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 Rise of Skywalker. I on do board, like the, yeah. how the, the, the tack pods are just kind of arranged on the bottom, like a, like it's a circular, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. On board, Mosk is giving a rousing briefing. He's got the hollow of Cassian, and we can see much clearer now that he's far younger. Um, they're all outfitted in what looks like tactical versions of their uniforms, like uh, flak vests and weapons and stuff. His rousing speech is overshadowed by the awkward timidness revealed by Karn, as we see him for the first time completely overwhelmed and in over his head. On board a transport, uh, sorry, I sort of glance over that. He, he, it is a nice rousing speech, but it's, uh, it's, it's so funny, uh, in con and this may be the only comedy moment. Uh, and it's not really played for comedy, but it's, it's quite inspiring. Funny. Um, <laughs> inspiring, sir. Well done. And they all clap. And the one guy like, 
clapped. He's just so not. Hard, yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, his rousing speech is overshadowed. Actually, sure. funny, you know, now that we're looking at this, the guy who's like completely disinterested in the speech is the same guy that takes the rifle, get back to the pod. Mm. Right. Who's like, mm. another, like, you get the impression that his he's a more, of... yeah, he's a more experienced guy. Yeah. Been a soldier yeah. for sure. Yeah. On board a transport, Bix's contacts stares serenely at a window. A man speaks to him across the seat casually. Can you believe that? Can you believe this? We're circling. The man asks how much they stuck him for the park to park his ship, and the contact replies, 60 credits." We we get our first line of dialogue from Dylan Skarsgård. Now, yeah. like, you guys ever flown or been on a bus or like public transit yep. when you want to just be left alone? Just don't talk. And, and it's like somebody <laughs> sees that and they uh, immediately like gravitate to it. You know what? I'm about to tell you my life story. Listen, this is, uh, you know, in some ways, realistic. This is John Candy in planes, trains, and automobiles. This is one of the most normal interactions, like Earth like interactions I've ever seen in Star Wars, actually. This guy Uh, is totally the traveling salesman, right down to the earpiece in his head. Like, all right. So, uh, the commuter, uh, he shifts seats to sit down across from him. Like, now that you've actually said words to him, he's going to oh, even, yeah. even yeah, deeper. He's coming closer. He tells him that he's old enough that he he's re- remembers when you used to be able to drive across the wasteland. He remarks that the ground carry was no bargain either, that you could taste the round trip a week later. Yeah. Uh, the man asks, what's your line? But Skarsgård gives him a stoic glare. Uh, he'd rather not say. The man isn't insulted. No need to explain. Who knows who you're talking to these days? So, but he's really chatty, and I don't know. He might come back as being the guy that he's sort of pretending not to be, like an imperial spy. Oh, maybe. I, he's just got that air about him, and he's also uh, uh, I can't I didn't catch his name, but I think he's in Chernobyl, and so is Skarsgård, and so is that other guy. Right, uh, all, all three of them. So he's he's sort of a, a better actor than just a three seconds, right? If you, right, if you if you will. Uh, He's really chatty, though. He's in propulsion. It's add-ons and boosters. And the engine begins to throttle down, and we can see outside the large window the uh, shuttle dips for a landing. And he says, you know what they say? And uh, Skarsgård's character says, what's that? He says, if you can't find it here, it's not worth finding. The man smirks and stares grimly out of the window. And we cut to the street as the shuttle passes overhead and down a narrow row of scrap Cassian stalks purposefully toward the camera. Cut to black. Mm. man yeah uh you know i was super hard on the first two episodes uh yep. and i watched them over and over and i i sort of appreciate what they're doing i I've, i'm trepidatious about like that line i talked about like it's so easy to drift off that line yep. of um of diving right into this like r-rated star wars it's so you know so uh, yeah. easy to yep. do and I don't know what the, <laughs> I don't know, like, I know there's a PG and I don't remember all the, the new, all the ratings, yeah. ratings for, yeah. for shows and stuff. But I, I know that this would skew more like adult accompaniment than, yeah. than the traditional PG stuff. 14A or something. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. certainly. And uh, I know I have a, a buddy with a, with a, a son who's like, you know, just on the cusp of that. And, and he's like, you know, well, what do you think? And I'm like, eh, well, you know, if he's 13, 14, probably okay. But if he's 10, 11, you it might want to have a talk with him about it. Yeah, first, yeah. You know, you're going to see some um, stuff here. And I can't say that about any other Star Wars. I would have, I would have sat a six year old down and put him down and went, "Let's watch The Mandalorian," easily. 
Uh, and so this is this. Uh, if you're a parent of a young child and you're a Star Wars fan, that's something you might want to consider. Uh, definitely screen it if you haven't seen it before you want to sit them down. Uh, it, it has heavy. There's there's a heavy overtone here. There's, yeah, there, it um, is. It's not quite graphic sexually, but it has more sexuality than any Star Wars. Anything uh, we've ever seen. Well, uh, Empire I mean, Strikes Leia, Back Leia was very... in the bikini uh, bikini outfit is pretty yeah, overt. That was, However, I mean, yeah, but she I was always, kicking ass in that. That's like, true. I, when I was thirteen, I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh the wolf with the eyes. Yeah. But then yeah, I, yeah. I understand as an adult that was meant to be, you know, subjugation, right down to the 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 the, the way that he had crafted her, not even yep. saying a line, right, until she was out of the situation. Yep. Um. And, and uh, you know, and I am going to make the meme. <laughs> uh, you know, George Lucas says, Star Wars is for kids. And Tony Gilroy didn't get the memo. <laughs> which There's is okay. A... <laughs> which is okay. So all in all, that, uh, it, we're, we're building towards something. And, like, I wasn't kidding when I said that uh, Tim was moving the plot forward. Because uh, it is a very slow burn. Oh, uh, big time. Yeah, I yeah. didn't feel like we were getting our feet until I was like, oh, okay, we're going to exploit his mistake. Um. And that's when I sort of went, okay, there's a, you know, these are real people, like a real, a real jealous dude would do that to somebody. That's right. Yep. Let's, you I'm know, really not, right. and not because I don't like him or because this, or because he's a murderer or that it lets, this is my way to get that cat out gets of the you, picture. Gets you out of my way. Yeah. Right. Yep. You so are the that, thing I mean, between me and her. For Cassian's sake, making the decisions that are heroic, you know, like making the Luke Skywalker decisions, the Han Solo decisions, yeah, yeah. they're not realistic. Like if we want to get down to brass tacks, no, but like very few of us rush into a burning fire to save a child, right? You so you see Cassian making really human decisions, and they're not good. So um, I think it lends depth to the character for sure because he's super nuanced. It's like you say, and uh, and I agree with you. He's one of the best characters, absolutely, uh, in Star Wars. Yep, uh, and certainly. Uh, we're going to explore what makes him that guy that is willing to lay down his life for a cause. There's so much more on that uh, to come in episode three with that, you know, with the exchange with Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah. When the when the uh, earliest marketing material turned up for this show, and they they sort of made the analogy, what what uh, would lead him to sacrifice everything? Yeah, that is a pretty compelling story for me. Um, and already I'm super interested, be, especially starting off with like uh, <laughs> womanizing, grifting con man. Well, see, and then <laughs> I, don't like them too. I really feel like you don't get the fact that that Cassian is a, is a victim until episode three. You just think, oh, right, yeah, he's a he's a bit of a, he's a douche. Like and you really understand, like not not only a victim of circumstance, but literally a kidnapped victim. This show, more than any other time in Star Wars that I can recollect, is addressing colonialism. Heavy. Um, the whole idea that we don't get subtitles for uh, the Canary language, which Perfect. I think is cool. They're all kind of olive-skinned. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, Cassie, Diego Luna, uh, a Mexican actor, I believe. I believe they so. They all have similar features, so they're all ethnic. Um, his name is Casa, now changed to Cassian. It's the mm -hmm. total, oh, oh we're yeah. going to anglicize your name. Oh, and by the way, speak English. Yeah. Yeah, and you're taking our last name. Friend. Absolutely. Yeah. He's Tarzan. Like, <laughs> yes. He's Tarzan. Like, and, and so um, I, I, do, I do applaud. I do tip my hat to Tony Gilroy and to everybody else on the team for 
addressing something that is very topical. Um, I have to say, much like the Tuscan Raiders, I don't need yeah, subtitles. Yeah, I understood yeah. everything that was going on just by, you know, they're using words, but they're they're there's acting, inflection, right? And, and body language, tone, yeah. body yeah. language. You know, they were using like typical hunter military signs, stuff like that. Big time, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, fantastic. And there, there's a big point. Like the High Republic does a pretty poor job of of dealing with the idea of colonialism because that's one of the Jedi's jobs uh, in the High Republic is to tame wild planets. Oh wow! And so, literally, like they're helping colonists. You know. You you get to see Obi-Wan try to negotiate in Clone Wars, actually. There's an episode yeah. where he tries to negotiate how how much incursion can be on their planet. Like, we're not going to give you a none, but you, you start to see, like, there there's corruption on both sides, certainly. Absolutely. And, and that in terms of galactic, you know, if, if humans ever struck out uh, in the galaxy, <laughs> we're, we're well... Uh, well suited to colonize unfortunately and and if you're going to colonize there's always a colonized uh, uh and absolutely yeah, you know, yeah and maybe we'll explore uh better ways to do that or or you know more <laughs> more beneficial ways to uh to engage with with people that don't want to be necessarily engaged with it's it's a nice heavy topic like i said it's not your uh it's not your your kid's Star Wars. This is this no, is gr- this grown it's man not. Star Wars. Yep, it totally is. This is that grown other woman point Star of Wars view, too. You know? Sorry, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Like the contractors on the Death Star. Oh, big time! Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. It's they a just stark contrast. They just sure. went to work yeah. to watch the working class get up and toil in 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 a where you're like, just go, can't you find a lightsaber somewhere? Where what? Why are you working a, a, a nine to five? But that's that's the reality. Of, uh, of sort for of for billions you know, and billions and billions, billions of species, trillions, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. and and to make the the machine roll, there's got to be somebody at Tim Hortons to get your coffee every morning, or else the whole That's thing right. falls apart. It just falls apart. Um, first three episodes, they're uh, they're out now. Totally get why uh, they dropped three at first. I as yes. I said uh, in episode one, I thought yeah. maybe it was because there was a schedule shift uh, for the show. That's why they chose to drop three at once. But then. Yeah. When you realize that you need to sit down and watch all three of them right. concurrently to get, I've been calling it a prologue because I feel like that's what it is. And Hank, yeah. you, you nailed it uh, when we were speaking uh, off camera. The the MacGuffin, the 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 box mm. is not the MacGuffin. Not at all. Cassian is. Cassian is the he's one hundred percent the MacGuffin, and yeah. that's yeah. that's fantastic. And even in the third episode, uh, Skarsgård lays it out. Lucian lays it out. We we know his name by then. Um, yes. Uh, you know, I'm. There's three options: either you're a spy, uh, you are fronting for the person I want to talk to, or yeah. you are the object itself, or you are the thing. Yeah. Right. So and he perfect. is the thing. Ah. <sighs> Well, listen, guys, stick around because um, we've got episode three that uh, is going to be uh, put up uh, concurrently along with this one. And uh, it won't be very long before we're uh, digging into episode four. It'll be uh, roughly the same time about a week from now, um, which brings us to week number two of uh, of our nine week uh, review series as we uh, dive deep on uh, Andor. As always, leave us your thoughts, your comments. We want to know what you guys think. Tell us what you guys think is going on uh, with Cassian and and or any of the other supporting characters. <laughs> and or going to see any? Yeah, are we going to see any of these people again? I think so. I don't know. Maybe. 
But until the next time, my friends, uh, for Fandom Power, my name is Wes. I'm Andy. And I'm Hank. And we will catch you on the next one. And bye for now. Mm-hmm.